John 14, verses 7 to 18. Jesus said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for the power of your word. And Lord, we just pray that you would move among us. Lord, as we remember back to even September 12th, 20 years ago, and the desperation of our nation, Lord, would you move again? Would you move in a mighty way, Lord, do what it takes to bring people to a place of desperation, to see how desperately we all need Jesus? Work in our hearts today, here and now. Move among us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we continue our study through the Gospel of John. Last week we finished up with the very well known, John 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And we keep that in mind this week as we move into this next section of Scripture, uh, that that really is the foundation that Jesus sets. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We pick up on that, but then we shift as well where Jesus was directly answering uh, a question or, a, or really a challenge or a doubt, as we might call it, from Thomas, and now he's shifting back to a conversation that he's having collectively with the disciples and wanting to minister to them very specifically uh, these important truths as he is about to depart. He is about to go to the cross raised from the dead, and then ascend to heaven. Uh, but he doesn't leave them without some clear instruction and some clear help along the way. So beginning with verse 7, Jesus saying to the disciples, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen, them, seen him. 
Now, what Jesus is saying to them, this is a bit of a rebuke to his disciples. If you had known me, uh, in, in this rebuke, or at least an exhortation, he's identifying the difference between being acquainted with Jesus, or Jesus being your, your buddy, or you know your homeboy, as some might say, right? And actually having a personal, intimate relationship with him. He's setting apart the difference between just having a knowledge of God or a knowledge of Jesus and actually having a personal, intimate relationship with him. It's not very different from the same thing that Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 19, to the Jews, to the religious leaders and challenging them and saying the same thing. If you knew me, you would know my father. You claim to know my father, but you reject me, so we've got a problem here. It was a little bit more harsh in that statement, and now he's challenging his disciples the ones who left everything to follow him, the ones who were so close to him, he's challenging the disciples in the same manner to say, if you had known me, you would know the Father. He's, he's answering even further the doubt that they had in the midst of their trouble that they were living in. It takes effort. It takes investment. You have to go deep into relationship. You can't just lean on your knowledge of God. Maybe you were raised in the church. Maybe you come to every, you don't miss a Sunday. You don't miss a Wednesday. You don't miss a, a men's program, women's program, youth program, young adults, whatever it is. If you're in one of those areas, you're like, I won't miss anything. I'm always at church. And maybe you're serving and you've left everything so that you could serve the Lord. But do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? That's the foundation. That's the starting point. Because we can look the part really well by just being with Jesus and following along with what Jesus is doing. But are we investing in our relationship and drawing near on a regular basis to Jesus himself? They knew and believed Jesus to be the Christ, and they even followed him. But they did not know God in and through Jesus. Not yet. They were lacking in understanding here. And that's what Jesus challenges as he challenged the Jews. They were lacking in understanding of his spiritual kingdom. You remember last week, we talked all about this in the beginning of John chapter 14, that it's all about his kingdom. He talks about his father's house. In my father's house are many mansions, and that's what we're headed to. That is the end goal. That is the destination that we are headed to. You remember Thomas said, well, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. And Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus shows us the way because he is the way. He demonstrates the way. He makes himself to be the one and only necessary way to get to heaven and to get to the Father. Recognizing that his kingdom is spiritual and that everything is spiritual. If you remember throughout the gospel as we've been studying, we've said that many times. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples through so many different examples, that everything is spiritual. It's not the physical. Remember how many people were following Jesus, saying, we want more bread. 
After he fed the 5,000, they're like, give us bread. He's like, I'm the bread of life. Yeah, but can you feed us? We want some breakfast, right? They're following him for more food, but he said, I am the spiritual food because the physical is nothing. Spiritual is everything. And the water, they're coming out. If anyone thirsts, let him come after me, he says, right? They're like, we want, we want the water to be poured out. No, Jesus is the water the living water. He's demonstrating time and time again that everything is spiritual. So why would it be any different here in John chapter 14? He's trying to get their perspective on his eternal kingdom and off of this world. They were lacking that understanding. Even these men who were so close to Jesus lacked understanding. Jesus makes it very clear that he is the representation of the Father, that to know Jesus is to know God. We've heard that before, and so have the disciples heard it before. Jesus continues, though, in his mercy. Every time we see Jesus, he's got a rebuke for the disciples. He's got a word of exhortation for them. He doesn't just leave it alone and be like, guys, I'm done with you, right? Because he could have. And we doubt so many times, and he could easily have said, guys, listen, I'm just, I'm exhausted. How many times I have to tell you the same thing over and over and over? We're about to look at that in the next couple verses here. But Jesus, in his mercy, doesn't just say, listen to the words I say, do what I say, and everything's good. Don't ask me any questions. Leave it alone but in his mercy continues to pour into them and help them come to a place of understanding because they lack understanding. And Jesus was very intentional in all of this. This was about preparation. Preparation for him going to the cross. He would depart from them. This was about preparation for him going to the cross, raising from the dead, and then preparation for the ministry that was going to take place. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen, and he talks about it here in the next few verses as we're going to see. But then Philip responds. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Philip, man, he is bold. Jesus, the Son of God, who's recognized by himself even, Philip, to be the Christ, the Messiah, and he says... If you had known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on you will know him and have seen him. And Philip's like, show us. I don't get it. Maybe we give Thomas a hard time, say he's the doubter. How about Philip? Seems like he might be a bit of the doubter, right? But he lacked understanding still, and he still wanted this physical manifestation of the father right there in front of him. Show us. I want to see your glory. A great perspective to have, but we have to be careful questioning Jesus, don't we? And Jesus, in his response, now I I would respond, like, what is wrong with you, Philip? If if he's talking to me, I'm like, I I mean, my kids, I tell them something, then they have a hundred questions. I'm like, stop asking me questions. I just told you, you don't have to ask why a hundred times, right? But that's Philip's like, well, just show us. 
Can't you just show us the Father? You're saying that we've seen the Father, but show us the Father, and then that will be sufficient. We know that Jesus, though, however, says, or, or God in his response even to Paul says, my grace is sufficient when Paul is, is asking, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. The thorn in the flesh, and, Paul, and God says, my grace is sufficient, meaning Jesus, my son, is sufficient. The manifestation of the grace of God but Philip is, he's asking the question. And Jesus responds, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? Philip, you should know who I am. If we put the time and effort into getting to know Jesus, who he is, then we shouldn't be in a place of asking the question, show us. Go ahead, God, you show me. Jesus, show me. Prove yourself to me, but we do it. We ask him a lot. When it's, he has proven himself time and time again, he said he will do all these things. He will die on the cross. He will raise from the dead. He will ascend to heaven. He will come again. And we said last week, remember, if Jesus says he will do something, it will happen. We could take it as an absolute. It will happen. It's truth. But yet we still ask the question, show me. Show us the Father, and then I'll believe. Then it will be sufficient. But is Jesus enough? Is he sufficient? And the words and the works, and that's what Jesus is going to, to challenge him in here in a moment. But he asks Peter, uh, Philip, How, have I been with you so long, yet you don't know me? And you can even ask the question, uh, that in, and how can you say, show us the Father? How could you ask that question? Show us the Father after you've already seen him. It's a gentle rebuke for Philip. Not like I would have a not gentle rebuke for my kids if they were asking me a question such as this. But you know, as I said before, those who are so close to Jesus, like Philip, still did not understand and it, it sadly is often the same way. It takes faith to understand. It takes commitment. It takes time investment. To understand who he is, we have to go deeper and deeper in our relationship with him. But Jesus has said it before, if you know me or if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You experience and you know you see, you hear, you understand through Jesus. Jesus just said it, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way, and he's not only the way to heaven, but he is the way to knowledge. He is the way to understanding. We will never understand a relationship with God if it's not through Jesus, We'll never go deeper in our understanding of even theology of the word of God unless it's through relationship with Jesus Christ himself. You can't know or understand who God is without a personal relationship with him. I'm often amazed by supposed smart people, brilliant people in the world when they try to talk about God. And they sound not so smart 
when they say things like, amen, and a woman in their prayer. Come on, man. These are the people put on a pedestal, and they don't realize, and they try to make some sort of theological claim thinking that amen has something to do with gender. Very simply, amen means I agree, or so be it, has nothing to do with gender. But this is the supposed smart people of the world put on a pedestal to lead prayer over our nation. And that's just one example, but there's many. What's lacking in this understanding of God? Relationship. Relationship with Jesus Christ. And so then Jesus asks him, do you not believe that I am, the fa- I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. He's like, hold on, are you, are you doubting the words that I am speaking to you, that I have spoken to you? Do you doubt that, Philip? Are you, do you not think that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Because that, I've said that before. You've been around, you've heard me say that. So do you not believe that or do you not, do you not understand that? Because these are not from Jesus alone. These are the words of authority from God. He's saying, look, do you not believe me? Believe God. In John chapter 5, we saw this. And Jesus says, Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. The son is in step with the father. They are in agreement, fulfilling the work of salvation. And whatever the son says and does is under the authority and agreement with the father. Because Jesus and the father are one. They have the same goal to fulfill the work of salvation. So Jesus saying then in verse 11, believe me, Believe me, it's true. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And he says then, believe me, either because I am in the Father and the Father is in me, like I already said, or because of my works. Believe me because what I say is true or because of my works. What is the Gospel of John all about? The words and the works of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is making very clear these things verify who I am. They verify the words that I speak to be true. My words, my works, it proves it. But there is further verification here in these following verses. We're about to look at three things that we see how Jesus verifies that he is who he says he is. He verifies the truth. Number one, in verse 12, we get to see here, works. And this is not just his works. He already laid that foundation. My words and my works, they verify who I am. They verify my words to be true, but there's greater works. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. He starts out with this most assuredly, and if you remember as we've been studying, most assuredly means verily, verily, or truly, truly. They, hey, guys, this is truth. Listen up. Pay attention. These are verified truths right here and now. Greater works are coming, and they're coming through you. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Greater works are coming through you, Philip, Peter, Thomas. Imagine how terrifying that statement would be. What are you talking about, Jesus? That's greater works, greater than feeding of the 5,000, greater than walking on water. I mean, come on. How could it be greater than that? But Jesus is saying, no, you guys, listen. Because of the work of salvation that was to be completed, and then he says the, the reason this is going to happen is because he's going to the Father. Greater works are going to happen because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why the greater works are to come. Because the greatest work hadn't happened yet, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The work would continue, however, after he departs through the disciples, through the early church, and still today, proving the resurrection to be fact. It actually happened. Why would we be in this room today if Jesus did not raise from the dead? There's no reason. But we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe that he died on the cross. So we are here as a testimony of the greater works. And you remember last week we talked about the many mansions that are in the Father's house. And, and we couldn't even wrap our minds around how many that many is. The many millions and millions and millions and millions of people throughout all of history after the, uh, you know, that are in the Father's house and how much room there is in the Father's house, right? In that same perspective, we have greater works are to come that are the many. We see the greater works in even Peter as he gives this gospel message, Acts chapter 2, and three, over 3,000 people come to salvation. Greater works are in store, but they couldn't quite wrap their mind around it. It all proves, though, that the resurrection is true. And Jesus says that it will happen, so they could take it as fact. Then he says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do... Uh, um, that I will do that what the Father may be glorified in the Son. That the Father may be glorified and whatever you ask, it will be done. Listen, this is not a name it, claim it prayer situation here. That Jesus is saying, hey, whatever you ask in my name, that's going to happen. This is a misunderstanding here. Jesus didn't say you are going to do greater works or your, your responsibility, rather, is to do greater works. He said, you will do greater works as you ask in my name. You will do greater works through Jesus Christ. It's not, hey, guys, listen, you're, you have a job to do. Go do greater works. They couldn't do it. It's not possible. But Jesus, by his power, would perform 
greater works. And he doesn't leave them alone with that either. We're going to get into that shortly. But whatever you ask, this is not calling on the name of Jesus as a magic word. Oftentimes, people would treat it that way. The name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, like abracadabra, and thinking we're just going to get what we want because of the name of Jesus. What does he say here? It is that I will do that, the Father may, uh, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's for the glory of God. It's according to his character, and it's according to his will. It's for his glory. What happens when we start naming and claiming things in the name of faith and in the name of Jesus? We get glory. It's about our glory. It's about the glory of people, not the glory of God. But we do recognize, however, there is absolute power in the name of Jesus to the glory of God. And it must be in accordance with his will and with his character. In my name translates more realistically to because of your relationship with me or because you are mine under my authority. Jesus is not referring to irresponsible or inappropriate prayer where we name it and claim it. Because it would be an irresponsible representation of the character of God. Remember that the main goal is his glory. So we see the work to be done, not by us, but through us. Verse 15, we continue into further verification that what Jesus says is true. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. These greater works that were to be done were not the lone responsibility of the disciples. Help is coming. That's number two. Help. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's our responsibility. Jesus spoke of the importance in chapter 13 of love for one another, and now the importance of love for him, but they're connected, right? Because he's saying this is how you can demonstrate your love for Jesus, Keep his commandments. And we're not talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the commands that he just gave them in John 13 and 14. He just gave them, he says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. Earlier in John 13, he teaches them to wash one another's feet. He tells them, he commands them to wash one another's feet. So we're to serve one another, we're to love one another. And then in John 14, 1, he says, trust me. You believe in God, believe also in me. These are commandments that he has given, new commandments. Not under the law, but saying, this new commandment I give you, love one another. It's about love. It's about trust. It's about relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to trust him. This is the outworking of our love for Jesus. It's, it, and that is our responsibility. 
The fruit of our love is obedience. He's not saying here that if you love me, then you'll do what I tell you to do or else. If you love me, then you will walk in obedience. It's going to be the fruit of your love. That's our responsibility. And John writes all about it in 1 John. And I was looking through 1 John thinking, where could I, where could I pick out? Here's a, where's a good verse that points us to this love for one another. Just homework, read the whole thing, 1 John. It's just a few chapters, short, simple. You're going to see all about this love for one another that demonstrates our love for God, how they are so directly connected. How could we say even John challenges. How could we say that we love God and hate our brother? It doesn't add up. That's not the fruit of love for God. Jesus is saying, if you love me, it will be clear by your obedience. And disobedience then, if that's the case, then disobedience shows a lack of love, a lack of honor, This is a hard truth to admit, but a lack of love is the root of disobedience. We would never admit that. A child would never admit that they don't love their parents. Like, I disobey my mom because I don't love my mom. I disobey my dad because I don't love my dad. A child would never admit that. But that's the root. It's lacking love. Spurgeon says this, Jesus also spoke to the proper source of our obedience. It isn't fear, it isn't pride, or desire to earn blessing. The proper source of obedience is love. The essence of obedience lies in the hearty love which prompts the deed rather than the deed itself. What motivates us? Is it love? Love through obedience is our responsibility. But then Jesus says, I've got a responsibility too. He, he challenges the disciples, say, your responsibility is love. Love one another, love Jesus, serve one another. That's how you're going to show your love for Jesus is by loving one another and serving one another. But then Jesus says here in verse fifteen or 16, that he has a responsibility, and I will pray the Father. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. Jesus is going to pray, and then the Father has a responsibility. The Father will. He will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. What did I say number two was? Help. He He's got it for us. He's saying, I'm going to give you another helper. Help is on the way. You're not alone. Jesus didn't just say, hey, you're going to do more greater works. And they're like, I don't know what that means or how it's going to be done. Don't worry, guys. I've got you covered. You're going to have another helper that's going to abide with you forever. Remember this. The disciples were so troubled. We studied last week. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In the midst of so much trouble, there is help. 
Help is on the way. And he says it here. You're not alone. You have the help that you need. There's great encouragement. Now, we get to see in this one verse, Jesus saying, and I will pray. And as Jesus prays, we see the Son. We see then the Father in his responsibility that he will then send the Holy Spirit. In this one verse, we see the Trinity working in perfect unity together to bring peace in the midst of trouble, to bring help when we may feel helpless. But listen, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not helpless. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm sorry to tell you that you are helpless. Come to Jesus. The word helper in in the Greek is parakletos, which is giving us meaning of one who is called to help, referring to an advisor, a legal defender, a mediator, or an intercessor. Remember that the devil is the accuser of the brethren, but the spirit is the defender. The King James... Uh, uses the word comforter for the Holy Spirit. Instead of helper here, it says comforter. So clear as we just continue to study into that what the Holy Spirit does for us, defending us, comforting us, helping us, leading us, guiding us, convicting us. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And this word even another, as he says another helper, Jesus was already with them. He was a helper to them. He led them and guided them through life for these three plus years. And now he says, and you will have another helper. This another is translated to another of the same kind from God. Another who is like Jesus from God of the same kind. And of course it is forever, permanently. You always have the Holy Spirit through relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just for a little while. We will always have the Holy Spirit through relationship. And that spirit is the spirit of truth. In a world full of lies, we have the spirit of truth. In a world full of lies that is influenced by the liar, the devil, we have the spirit of truth. But the world cannot know the spirit because the world rejects truth. It was the same then as it is now, a complete rejection of truth. And we've talked about it throughout the gospel as we've studied, we've seen this constant attempt to silence the truth to the point that they kill Jesus to try to silence the truth. And now as as Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit, he's saying the spirit of truth, the world cannot even know because the world doesn't know truth. The world rejects the truth. They've constantly done it, and they're going to do it again and again and again and again. That's the world we live in today, rejecting truth, trying to silence truth. They cannot know the spirit. That means that this world 
without Jesus is helpless. But you are not like the world, he says. But you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. You're not like the world because you know the Spirit. You know the Spirit because you have relationship with Jesus Christ. You have the Spirit with you to help you because he promised it. And you have the Spirit in you bringing you near in relationship. And Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 22, when he was hanging on the cross, he said, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would be in them. They would receive it. And then even beyond this, in another way, we see that the Spirit comes upon talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the end of the gauge. The Holy Spirit will come upon. They will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then there will be power so this, look at all the things that the Spirit comes to help and to guide and to comfort and to protect and to lead and, and, and all of the things that he does and gives power on top of it. And you know those works, the greater works that I told you about? You're going to be able to do them because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And through relationship with the Holy Spirit and through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, these greater works will happen. And then we finish up with verse 18, as Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Remember we said it several times now. If Jesus says he will do something, it's a promise. It is an absolute. And he says he will not leave us orphans. We are not alone. And he's already taken care of that through the promise of the Holy Spirit to abide with us forever. That's why the Spirit has come to abide with us to, forever, to help, to protect, to provide, to teach, lead, convict, and to empower. But wait, there's more. You see, I look at this passage as like the greatest infomercial ever. But wait, there's more. He says, look, I've already shown you. I've got my words and my works. And that verifies the truth of who I am. But wait, there's more. Also, there's greater works that are going to happen through you. But wait, there's more. You don't have to do it on your own. I'm going to give you help. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to do much more than just help you do those greater works. But wait, there's more. Even more than that? Yes, even more than that. He will include a hundred more of this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Call within the next 30 seconds. And, but wait, there's more. He says, I will come. There's hope. So we have work. We have help. And we have hope. Jesus will verify who he is time and time again, and he has. 
and he'll continue to do so through his work that is done by the help of the Holy Spirit. And now it is verified and solidified in the hope that Jesus will come again. The promise, he will. He has proven it many times over. He will prove it again. He is coming again. You see, Philip had questions. Thomas had questions. There are questions. There's always questions. People always want their questions answered. Jesus is the answer. Relationship with Jesus is the answer to not just the Father, but to understanding. And they were lacking understanding. When we see Jesus, sometimes people will say, when I get to heaven, I've got, all, I've got a bunch of questions. I'm going to ask him this, I'm going to ask him this, I'm going to ask him this, and you know you're not. Because when you see him, you will see his glory, and you will see the whole thing. Not just little glimpses, not just in part, but when you see him, you're going to fall on your face, and you are going to worship him, and all of your questions will be answered immediately because you will see the glory of God. You see, Jesus is the answer, and he verifies the truth through work to be done, through his disciples, through the help that comes from the Holy Spirit and the hope that we have that he's coming again. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your glory that is revealed to us through the scripture and that is revealed to us through relationship. We love you. We trust you. We thank you that we can hope in you. We can hope in heaven and we can hope in that you are coming again. That confidence that we can have is only found in you. Listen, today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've heard me say it several times over. You've heard me say it maybe other weeks before that you've been with us. It all starts with relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the way to the Father. He is the way to understanding. He is the way to seeing these greater works fulfilled. He is the way to receiving the Holy Spirit. And it's only through him that we can hope in heaven and we can hope that he is coming again. We have to have faith. We have to believe and that starts with a, a confession that we are sinners. And it comes to that point of belief in Jesus, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended to heaven, and that he is coming again. Many in this room believe that and are here to testify of that live their lives according to that.
But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I'm sorry to tell you, like I said before, you're without the help. But you don't have to be. So I invite you. I want to give you opportunity today. Invite Jesus into your life. Make the confession of faith to say, I'm a sinner and I believe in Jesus that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose from the dead. If you want to do that, if you want to invite Jesus into your life today, make him the Lord of your life. Would you raise your hand? To make a commitment? It's not worth fighting. It's not worth saying no to Jesus. Would you invite him into your life to be the Lord of your life? We had two people do this first service. And there's celebration, there's rejoicing over that when people come to Jesus. So if that's you, you need to enter into that relationship, don't wait. Would you make that commitment today? Would you raise your hand? God bless you. I see you. Yes, thank you, Lord. Anybody else? You who raised your hand, you can pray these simple words. I'll lead you in a prayer. It's not magic in the words, but the work that Jesus Christ has done in your heart right here and now. You can say these words. Say, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I want to live my life for you. Would you come into my life and be my Lord, my Savior? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.